0: to Yo and Yo's podcast. We've had the privilege of advising Michigan businesses for over 95 years and we want to share our knowledge with you. Covering tax, accounting, technology, financial and advisory topics relevant to you and your business, Yo and Yo's podcast is hosted by industry and subject matter experts where we go beyond the beans. So if you want to stay in the know about business issues and trends that affect you, then keep listening because this is Everyday Business with Yo and Yo.
1: Hello, I'm your host, Dave Jewell, principal and tax service line leader at Yo & Yo. Today, we're going to talk about an exciting new financial services initiative that Yo & Yo has, and then also talk about some year-end strategies as far as retirement planning goes, and then discuss some different retirement plans and the pros and cons of each. With me today is Pete Bender. Pete's the managing principal of our Saginaw office and also the leader of Yo & Yo Wealth Management. Pete, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Pete, Yo & Yo has been in the financial services game for the last 15 to 20 years uh, in a variety of capacities and ways. But uh, about a year and a half ago, we launched an exciting new initiative. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about what that's all about? And um, then also discuss how the financial advisors and the tax professionals here at Yo & Yo work together to add value to our client relationships.
2: Sure, Dave. Actually, you know, time flies when you're having fun. It's been a little over two years now that we've partnered with HKFS, and so, you know, it's been going really well. But as Dave said, uh, a few years back as part of our strategic plan, we wanted to really enhance our financial services or wealth management division and just uh, wanted to be able to provide a better service, more holistic planning for our clients. We knew how important tax and financial planning are together, that they need to be integrated when they're done for our clients. And we saw so many opportunities where we could help our clients with these things that we just, we knew we needed to step up our game a little bit. And so we eventually partnered with the firm called HK Financial Services, and they're out of Dubuque, Iowa. And there's a few uh, main reasons why we decided to partner with them. One being is they work exclusively with CPA firms, so they really understood what we wanted for our clients, how we wanted that financial advisor, CPA relationship to work. And they did a great job. They've been around for about 25 years and started this in the same manner. They they were a CPA firm. They were born out of a CPA firm. And so they uh, started doing this for their clients and then became so successful that they branched out to started to working with other CPA firms. So, That was the main reason. The other thing is they really understand that importance, like we talked about, of combining tax planning and financial planning. It's a holistic approach, meaning before they do any investing, before we give any investment advice uh, for our clients, we wanna understand their entire picture their entire financial picture, because we know, until we know that, we really can't give the best advice as to how aggressive they need to be or how conservative they want to be. We want to know, you know, their assets, their liabilities, their income coming in, what they're spending, and also what their plans are, what, what their hopes and dreams are for, you know, their financial life. So, you know, we, we understand that building a personal financial plan is the foundation for every financial decision. And every financial decision has a tax consequence. So when the CPA and the advisor work directly together, like we do in our situation, it's just very effective. Their advisors come and work directly with our CPAs, with you, Dave, you've been through part of it. I've been through it with my clients. Their advisors come in and, and do the planning through a process called GPS. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. And so they work directly with us and it's it's been really effective for our clients.
1: Yeah, there's nothing worse than having a huge capital gain or, you know, some other kind of transaction that comes into the tax picture that catches you by surprise. We could have planned for that before the end of the year, for example, and, you know, it ends up creating a huge tax burden or issue for a client. Then they're upset with you and it just could have been better coordinated and there could have been better planning to avoid that as a whole. So. Uh, that's something that this relationship really helps to eliminate, and it is good for us. It's good for the client, and it's a it's a win win when we work together in that capacity.
2: Right. I've done tax returns for over thirty years now, and I have a, a number of stories, as I'm sure you do, of clients coming in and saying, "Oh, by the way, we did this," and it, you know, and it's like, "Well, wow, it would have been great to know before you did it. We maybe could have arranged that situation a little better." Or they or they get their ten ninety nine from the broker at the end of the year and we look at it and there's 50,000 of gains and they had no clue about that. And, but there's ways around that. We're going to talk about some of those here in a little bit. So you're right. It's a really nice service. We're able to provide our clients.
1: Yeah. So let's take the next step and let's talk a little bit about some of those areas where we work together, you know, us as the CPA, where we work together with the financial advisor and uh, you know, how we can help head off some of those unexpected things that might come through on a, on a year end 1099 and how we kind of plan together and some of the issues that we talk about on an ongoing basis between financial advisor and, and tax advisor.
2: You know, part of what they do is called tax smart investing. So there's a, a number of different areas that we can help our clients with through HKFS and their partners to help them save taxes in, in addition to you know as part of their financial plan one of those is called tax loss harvesting we've all done it over the years and when we get down to the end of the year at this point in time of the year we might do some tax planning with our clients and say hey if you have any stock positions or investment positions that are in a loss situation and you have gains that you've built up during the year it might be a good idea to sell those stocks and there's wash rules we're not going to get into details of that But sell those stocks, hold them, wait 30 days and buy them back. You get to take the loss and still keep that position and use that to offset those gains. What HKFS has the ability to do is do this throughout the year, not just that year end. They have some software through a new partner that they're working with that tracks this throughout the year and enables them to find lost positions to harvest during the year and use those later to offset gains. I really became aware of that this year with a very unique year where the market started out pretty well, of course, COVID hit and the market took a big, a big adjustment in, you know, uh, March and April, but then rebounded. And so when we, when I've been doing some of my investment reviews with some of my clients with um, Joe Plague, who's the advisor that we work with from HK, we were able to show the client, you actually made money in the account during the year because it went down. They stayed in the market. They didn't panic. It it recovered and actually grew some at the end of the year. And in addition to that, HK was able to sell some positions during that downturn and harvest those losses. So in addition to making some money on your account this year, you have making up numbers 15,000 of capital losses that you can use either this year to offset some gains or carry forward to next year. And that was just a great example of how they could do that. And and they do that by a, a lot of times if they're in mutual funds or ETFs, they'll sell that, that ETF that's at a loss and buy back a similar one immediately. So the wash rules don't apply. They stayed invested in the market. What you don't want to do is get out of the market when it's down, of course, and then buy back when it's come back up. That's a basic of investment. But they're able to buy a similar fund to harvest that loss and really not lose any of uh, that
1: potential kickback when the market goes back up? Yeah, you're exactly right. This this is a cute, uh, perfect example of that this year, where a, a lot of clients are gonna, if they didn't, they're gonna wish that they did potentially harvest some of those losses because after that huge downturn that we saw, like you said, back in that March-April timeframe, man, I mean things have just exploded, and with the uh, hopes of another vaccine today, you know, the market's on pace to be at its highest ever, and uh, you know, now we're just hitting all sorts of new highs. So having a little bit to offset some of these gains that people might, for one reason or another, consider taking before the end of the year, um, yeah, that's huge. Yep. Yep. It's been very effective. So, and, uh,
2: you know, I, I think coming up the market's going to continue to be volatile. It, it usually is. And so this is really a way to take advantage of that and to save some tax dollars by doing that. A couple of the other things that they focus on is capital gain distribution management and mutual funds. Without getting into a lot of details, when clients are invested in, in mutual funds, they're required to pay out a certain amount of their gains during the year from the prior couple of years by the end of the year. So a lot of times that happens in December. That causes some taxable income to those clients if they're in a taxable account, not in a, a retirement account, which is fine. You, you know, you're getting income. It enables you to buy more shares. So, you know, the value of your account doesn't go down, but it does cost you some taxable income. Um, What they're able to do is manage those and look at getting out of those funds right before that capital gain. These mutual funds companies disclose when those distributions are going to be paid. So if you're paying attention and it takes a little management, you can get out of that fund before that distribution is paid and then get back in after. A couple benefits there, you're avoiding paying tax on that income for that year when those distributions are paid because they're creating more units, the actual value of the, the fund goes down. So in effect, you're selling high if you get out before it's paid. And then if you buy back after you've bought low, so you've accomplished two things there, save some taxes and potentially we sold high and bought low, which is a you know, basics of investment. So that's another way they manage you know, tax planning into, into their um,
1: processes. Yeah, and that's a perfect example of an area where there can be huge surprises at the end of the year because it's really oftentimes not something that's known what these capital gain distributions are going to be that kick out of these mutual funds until kind of that mid latter part of December, oftentimes. And, you know, if you're not expecting that, while it does create long term capital gain income, which isn't at the the worst of the rates, uh, you know, for somebody who has retirement income or, uh, social security, for example, I mean, it can make more of their social security Mm -hmm. taxable, kick them up into a higher Medicare premium bracket. So just a lot of things that aren't always favorable from a tax standpoint that those can create that if you know about it ahead of time and can plan around it, it's obviously beneficial.
2: Yep, And if tax rates go up for one reason or another over the next year or several, based on I listened to your last podcast with John Haig and I know you guys had a lot of discussion about that and who knows what and when's gonna happen, but it just seems like eventually rates are gonna go up, including possibly capital gain rates. So that would make this even more important right to do couple other things, you know, again, when, when we work with them is anytime they make any movements in, in, in a client's uh, portfolio or doing any buying or selling, they're always checking on the tax consequences and they're talking with our CPAs. And Dave, I think you can attest to that as well and working with some of your clients. So they're not going to just go and, 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 rebalance an account and, and recognize, you know, 20,000 of capital gains without checking, you know, with us first and saying, okay, where's this client at? Does he have some losses we can use to offset? Is he in a maybe lower tax bracket this year so that we we can take some gains and not pay as much tax? So anytime they're with, you know, rebalancing, they're looking at that. The other thing we can do is withdrawal strategies. You know, once people get into that retirement phase of their lives and they're starting to draw, we want to make sure we're utilizing tax brackets to the fullest. And what, what that means is, you know, people sometimes... They'll work all their lives, be in higher tax brackets. And once they retire, um, their income will go down. And so maybe they're not yet to age 72 where they have to take their distributions from their IRAs and their income is down. So they're in lower tax brackets. So they think, great, I'm paying paying hardly any tax. I want to keep doing that as long as possible. But yet they have this huge IRA out there because they work so hard all these years and they have a million dollars or more in that account well, that's kind of a time bomb waiting to explode. When they hit age 72, they're going to have to start drawing on that. And that may jump them up into a higher tax bracket, where if they strategically started taking some of that money out at whenever they retire age 60, 62, 65, they could have some of that income taxed at a lower rate and, and either convert it into a Roth, which we'll talk about a little later, or just take that money out and put it wherever or spend it and pay it at a lower tax rate to benefit them down the road. So that's where that, again, that long-term planning comes in. We use their software to do projections and to say, okay, if I start drawing on my IRA at age 62 or whenever, even though I don't have to, what would that look like long-term for my my total uh, portfolio by paying some tax at a lower rate now than at a higher rate, either because tax rates you know, may go up, we think they may go up, or even if they don't, it would, it could potentially jump them into a higher tax bracket later.
1: Yeah, Pete, you, you hit on software that they use and you you, uh, you mentioned it kind of at the outset and said we'd get to it. So let's just make sure that we get into that before we transition into these last couple topics. But uh, what is GPS software? What does it look like to the end user? How is it beneficial to them? And how does it let them just kind of see their their picture and give some assurances mm-hmm. to let them know that they, that they do or do not have the, the assets to hold them through and generate income throughout their lifetime? Yep, so it, it's, a, it, it's a
2: software program called eMoney, which a lot of places use, but um, HKFS really uses it to a, a higher level than I think a lot of advisors. And so, what we do with a three page document, we gather all the financial information from the clients, you know, what their current balances are, and checking savings, retirement accounts, investment accounts maybe real estate, maybe the value of their business. If they own a business, what are their retirement benefits going to look like their projected social security benefits, pension benefits, if they have those, um, and what they're spending. That's such a a big factor in all of this. Um, I get the question all the time. Um, Hey, how much money do I need to retire on? Um, I I have a million dollars in my 401k example. Is that going to be enough? And I say, well, how much are you going to spend? Um, if you're spending, you know, 40 or 50,000 a year, that million will probably last you a long time. If you like to spend you're going to spend more in retirement, that um, can go pretty quick if you're spending 100, 120,000 a year. So we pull all that information in together based on some assumptions and, and, and other data. They'll show a projection to the client say, here's where you're at right now based on tax rates, based on your spending, and what you know a reasonable rate of return is on your investments. Here's what your chart looks like. Maybe your money's going to last you to age 100. It's going to continue to go up. Um, maybe your money runs out at age 80. Okay, then we have some problems. We need to talk about, okay, either reduce your spending or maybe you need to work a couple of years longer. The nice thing about that software is once we get all that information in there, we can run any kind of scenarios, just about anybody you can think of. So if we have two 60-year-olds and, and they they put all their information in there and they say, I want to know if I can retire today, or two years from now, or five years from now. That's what that can show show them. Um, It helps them with insurance planning. Uh, Maybe they're a little bit younger and, and they're questioning, do I really still need that million dollar life insurance policy on the main breadwinner in the family? We can show them what happens. Okay, here's what happens if your spouse passes away tomorrow, what does that bar graph look like? When are you gonna run out of money? Or if we have life insurance in place, what does that mean for you? So it really gives them, in that case, a peace of mind, a comfort to know where they're at. Or it may give some people a little shock to say, hey, I'm probably not ready to retire. I don't have enough money set aside, or I'm going to have to really watch my spending in retirement.
1: And so that's kind of how you know, briefly that software works, and it's, it's very effective. Yeah, it's just very transparent. I've been through that a couple of times with a handful of different clients and um, by just changing a variable here or there, it updates in real time and uh, presents a pretty clear picture to the, to the client to see and, and understand. And then obviously the advisor or you are in the room and uh, go through it with them there and can answer any questions. So it's been a, a been a real nice tool. Like I said,
2: we can go back to it any time and, and revise things and put in new scenarios to help them with those, those huge
1: decisions that they have. All right. So speaking of retirement, let's talk a little bit about retirement plans and kind of go into our next topic here. Uh, obviously we're not going to spend, we don't have the time to go into great detail or depth, but there, it seems like there's questions that are out there that, that clients bring up a lot. There's a lot of different ways to save for retirement. There's a lot of different ways to stock money away. And some of that depends on whether you're an employee and you're working a, a job where you get a W-2 from an employer or uh, you're self-employed and with self-employment there come a few uh, additional options so maybe just hit on a few of the highlights between some of the plans and things that are available and we can just have a quick discussion about those. Sure you know if you're in a situation
2: where you're you're working for a company uh, you're a W-2 employee more likely than not depending on the size uh, your, your company might have a 401k plan that's a pretty standard plan Um, so, you know, when I do financial planning for my clients and I heard this from one of my senior partners years ago, a guy named Gary Denzer, who you knew very well, Dave, your father-in-law, (laughs) you've heard of him. him, And he always used to tell his clients, question number one, fund that 401k bottom line. If you're not doing that, don't bother talking to me because you got to start with that first. That's the best way to save for retirement. So my point is, you know, fund that 401k as much as you can afford to do, and more importantly, to take advantage of the company match because um, that's free money. So, you know, you might be putting in six percent, the company matches half of that uh, during the year, and that's another three percent. That's really free money from the company. So, that's where we I always start. You know, a few years back, they put Roth 401ks into those plans, that's an option that most 401k plans have. Again, a traditional 401k, you're putting the money in pre-tax. It grows tax-free. You pay tax on it when you take it out. The Roth, you're not, you're not getting a tax deduction for it up front, so it's a little more costly in effect right now. But the money grows tax-free, and when you take it out at retirement, you don't pay any tax on it. So, again, that's something with the software we can help help our clients analyze, which is the best way to do it. Again, there's never a right or wrong right or wrong answer. the younger you are and the lower the tax bracket you're in the better off the roth is in, in short um, and vice versa with the 401k. So if you're an employee those are the things to look for. might be a simple IRA those are plans that are less expensive. a lot of smaller employees have it um, those in place but the same basic principle the employee can fund up to I think 13,500 a year. Um, And then the the employer puts some money in. So again, if you're working, I tell my clients, take full advantage of that first. On the business side, if you own a business, of course, you can put these types of plans in the 401ks, the simple IRAs to try and help you maximize your benefits and and fund as much as you can. And then if if you're on your own, if you're a Schedule C, self-employed, or maybe just a couple employees, there's other options. There's a SEP IRA option, which is real easy to set up a lot less costly than a 401k, um, but the limits you can fund are less. So there's a little give and take there. It's it's less cost to operate, but less funding opportunities. The nice thing about a SEP IRA is you can fund it or establish it and fund it after year end. So most of these plans, you have to make these decisions, you know, by December 31st, when maybe you don't know exactly how your books are going to shake out for the end of the year, a SEP IRA if you come and and meet with dave to get your taxes done in march and you say wow i'm getting socked here i need some way to save some tax dollars you can you can fund that that SEP ira
1: after the fact and the same thing with that i mean the more you make the more that you can put away in a SEP. i think that's for a self-employed individual it's what roughly 20 percent of your net income from self-employment and so for those individuals that are making a few hundred thousand dollars on a Schedule C, uh, you know, you can push up against that maximum, whatever it is, fifty-six, fifty-seven thousand yeah. dollar contribution limit for those that are making, you know, something closer to a hundred thousand or half of that, then your contribution is gonna be limited at a much lower amount. And that's where maybe something like a solo 401k it might make more sense just to be able to to kick more in and then possibly get a, a profit sharing on top of that. Yeah.
2: So uh, with the SEP, if you have employees, you have to fund that same amount, not same dollar amount, but percentage amount. You would have to do that, but still you can fund. It's basically a profit shared plan is what it is for a self-employed individual. And a solo 401k is just for a one person plan, uh, but you can fund up to if you're over age um, uh, 50 up to $63,000 a year. So that's a huge number. So that works well with high income earners. You know, it's just just them and the business. So that's another very effective plan. But we do have to have that in place and funded by the end of the year, for the most part.
1: So yeah, so lots of different options in that world. And that, you know, you're exactly right on the on the four hundred one k or on the simple plans. You know, for for people that have W two income and they come to us and they want to do a, a ton of tax planning, but they don't have much by way of outside investments, they don't have much by way of other income. There's really only so many levers to pull, in my opinion, on how to tax plan for a W-2 employee. So the starting spot is always looking at at that company offered 401k or simple plan or whatever it might be and encouraging those individuals to to the extent that they can max their contributions um, or up to a level that's affordable for them and provides them enough. Um, net and then yeah, I mean this is the wrinkle of the of the Roth 401k, which more and more companies are starting to offer as part of their plan is interesting, especially for younger individuals who you know believe that tax rates are going up, which a lot of us feel that that's the case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of a punch to the gut to pay the tax on that now, but if you have a long term uh, horizon and viewpoint where you can think down the road, and uh, you know there's a lot of benefits that come with uh, with that Roth money. Uh, if yeah. you can stomach paying the tax right now.
2: Yeah. And in a lot of cases, it, it is hard to tell because you can't, you don't know what the future is going to hold. But if they're in that middle ground, a lot of times I say, you know, hedge your bet and you can fund a portion of your money into the traditional 401k and a portion in the Roth. That way, you know, you're not paying a ton of tax at retirement, but you also don't want to have no tax at retirement. So you paid tax all these years and not retirement year in a zero to, Percent tax bracket that sounds great, but it's that's not as effective as it as it could be. So, lots of
1: different options there. All right, let's move into the final topic. Then that we've got on the docket today, kind of uh, hitting a couple strategies as we head into uh, year end here for twenty twenty. This year has flown, and maybe that's a good thing because it's been it's been a year, uh, lots of challenges, lots of ups and downs, and uh, just kind of a, a wild year that I don't think any of us expected when we sat here in the middle of November last year. So uh, just around financial planning, around some different triggers that we can pull from the standpoint of retirement plans and different things, uh, options that are available to us. Uh, Pete, what are a couple strategies that taxpayers and listeners should keep in mind as we as we get into the last six weeks of the year here?
2: Yeah, I mean, one thing that's gotten a lot of press and, and rightly so is, is Roth conversions. And so again, when we're thinking that because of what's going on in our current current environment, our current economies, and, and what the government's doing with money and assistance, it just seems like tax rates are going to have to go up at some point in time. So what I think is a great idea to, to consider before the end of the year and, and probably into next year and, and, and several years down the road is Roth conversions. And so what that means is if you have IRA accounts, you have retirement monies, you have the potential to be able to convert them into a Roth. And what that means is you're taking that money out, paying tax on it now, and then putting it back into a Roth so that it can grow tax-free until you take it out at retirement some point in time. And so, you know, there's several reasons for doing that. One is you think the tax rates are going to go up. So you're going to pay tax on some of that money now at, of making it up at 20%, let's say, as opposed to waiting down the road if tax rates go up to 25, 30, whatever it might be. That's the main reason for doing it. A couple other reasons, once you have it in that Roth, as we talked about earlier, at at a traditional IRA, when you hit age 72, you have to start drawing it out over your life expectancy. That rule doesn't apply to Roth IRAs. So once you have it in that Roth, you can continue to let it grow, either for use later or for your heirs. And another nice thing is hopefully you've brought up your children well, and they have good paying jobs, and they're saving for retirement, when they inherit this money, if it's in a Roth, they wouldn't pay tax on it either. So you might be looking at being in a lower tax bracket now than what they would be in when they take that out. And also they, you know, they can leave it into that Roth for up to 10 years after, you know, the owner of the, the Roth has passed away. So it gives them some flexibility in taking that out. The other reason is for market swing. So when you you think about it, if you have your your IRA invested in the market, and let's say there's another correction, so your your account goes down by 10%, if you take a distribution from that IRA when the market's down and pay tax at that lower rate, move it to a Roth, buy everything back within that Roth in the same investments, um, hoping that they're going to go back up or knowing that history tells us they'll probably go back up it could grow back up to its original value plus more and you never have to pay tax on it. So, um, you know, that's kind of timing the market, which can be a little bit tough. But it's just, again, to look for that opportunity is when those those things happen. So I think the Roth conversions is a great thing to consider. Maxing out the lower tax brackets either this year or next or maybe, you know, even a couple of
1: years down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, too, Yeah, you, you hit on it, but uh, with the SECURE Act that passed, what was it, at the end of last year now, the ability in a taxable IRA account upon the owner's death of you know, the ability to stretch that IRA over the life expectancy of the beneficiary has gone away. And now you have to the account, Not doesn't have to be even, but within 10 years, it has to be distributed out. So um, yeah. if it's in a Roth, then... No big deal because it doesn't create tax consequences to that uh, beneficiary who's pulling that money out. But uh, mm-hmm. if you do have a kid, for example, who or a child who is um, in a in a higher tax bracket and is, it has done well from the, for themselves and. Uh, has a a decent amount of income. I mean, gosh, to to throw that burden on them then, I mean, I guess you shouldn't complain because you got the money, but uh, you know, but create a tax burden for that person who has to pull it out over 10 years, uh, that can be an extra little uh, jab there. So uh, you know, doing that Roth conversion in the right, under the right circumstances uh, makes a lot of sense and can kind of head some of that stuff off too. Yeah. If you look at just a
2: million dollar IRA, which isn't that unusual anymore. And and somebody leaves it uh, to their their son or daughter and they have to take it out over 10 years, that's 100,000 of income over each year for a 10 year period. So that could really bump them into a higher tax bracket if they're already working and other things are going on. So, you know, maybe paying that tax at that lower rate for a while could could really make some sense for them. Yeah. A couple of the other things, you know, we talked about funding IRAs, you know, we have until April 15th to do that so we can do that after the fact. Um, SEP IRAs can actually uh, fund up to the extended due date of the tax return. So we have until October to do that if you have a small business. The other thing that we've done with a lot of our clients is called backdoor Roths. One of the rules when contributing to a Roth IRA is if your income is too high, you can't fund a Roth IRA. If you're in a retirement account at work and your income is too high, you can fund a, a traditional, a deductible IRA, but you could fund a non-deductible IRA. So there's no tax benefit to that upfront, other than the fact that that money grows tax-free. Um, but what the the Internal Revenue Code allows you to do is fund that non-deductible IRA and then immediately roll it into a Roth. So in effect, you've funded that that Roth IRA for a year, even though your incomes are higher, it's called the backdoor Roth. And then that money can grow tax-free and, and never
1: have tax paid on it. So that's a good strategy as well in certain circumstances. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing that I've seen a lot over the last few years with those higher income uh, taxpayers, and we won't get into this, but I think those certain circumstances that you're talking about are making sure that you don't have uh, other sources of IRA uh, money that are out there because then there can be some tax impact to, to doing that. But I mean, gosh, it's, then that's one thing too that I think eventually over time may possibly go away. So I think it's kind of low-hanging fruit out there too. You're basically your income's too high to contribute directly to a Roth, but this is a as a you know the name implies a backdoor way to to do that. And whether that stays around forever, I don't know. I wouldn't bet on it. But for people that are looking to continually build up retirement accounts. I mean, it's almost a, a no-brainer for those higher-income individuals as long as that discretionary cash is available to contribute to the non-deductible IRA and then flip it to the, to the Roth. I mean, it's a, it's a great strategy. Yeah, it's, you know, it's smaller amounts. It's
2: limited to the 6000 or 7000 a year, depending on your age. But you know, if you can do that
1: for 10 years, that's going to add up and be a nice little nest egg for somebody. Yeah, and then, you know, well-invested and watch the that money grow over time. And, you know, I mean, it can can turn into a six-figure little pot there pretty, pretty quick and easy. Anything else, Pete, that we didn't hit on today that would be uh, for the good of our listeners to know as we head into year-end or about retirement or our financial planning and tax relationship at all? No,
2: just, you know, make people aware of, uh, to consider some of these ideas. Make sure you're talking to your tax planner and your advisor and making sure they're, you know, uh, coordinating efforts and and they're all on the same page because again that that can make a huge difference and and we're here to help in any, any way we can you know it's just going to become very important here over the next few years there's going to be a lot of changes so you want to you don't know what those changes are but you want to be prepared to react to those changes as quickly as you can and and by working you know with HKFS and your you know your tax planner I think that that gets you in the best situation to know where you're at. Um, have your information together, You know, where, know what your situation is so you can react as quickly as
1: you need to to the potential upcoming changes. Yeah, there's a lot of times in life when surprises are a good thing, but unexpected income and tax consequences are, are not one of those situations. So yeah. 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 we can avoid that. That's a good thing. So, well, Pete, thanks for joining me today on this episode of Everyday Business. I enjoyed the conversation. hope it was beneficial to our listeners. You're welcome, Dave. Anytime. If you want to know more about how Yo & Yo Wealth Management can help you with your year-end tax and financial planning situation, please contact Pete Bender or yoandyo.com and click on the Wealth Management section of our website where you can find a copy of our show notes and additional resources. Thank you to everyone who joined us today. I'm Dave Jewell, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Business with Yo & Yo. Thanks, everybody.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Yo & Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. Yo & Yo's podcast can be listened to on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and of course, our website. Please subscribe, rate, and review. For more business insights, visit our resource center at yoandyo.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletters. We'll talk to you next time on Yo & Yo's Everyday Business Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is believed to be valid and accurate on the date it is first published. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the podcast reflect the views of the speakers. This podcast does not constitute tax, accounting, legal, or other business advice or an advisor-client relationship. Before making any decision or taking action, you should consult with a professional regarding your specific circumstances.